Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we're just past the halfway point of the U.S. Open from Flushing Meadows and all positive signs, really, for Canada. Layla Fernandez, Felix Ojealiasim already booking berths to the quarterfinals. We have Gabby Dabrowski going in women's doubles. Bianca Andrescu playing well. Honestly, terrific first week, I would say. Yeah, things are really clicking for Canadian tennis players, and the fans up here in our country are absolutely loving it, as they should. I'm seeing so much media coverage on radio stations, TV shows, places that you normally wouldn't be necessarily catching news about Canadian tennis. And that's a testament to how well these players who are still left in the draw into the second week of action are playing. And look, this is not surprising. I mean, there are some elements that are, um, you know, somewhat mildly surprising, I guess, in terms of how quickly certain players are progressing. But in in other terms, we know that our country is now a, a tennis power. And I don't feel like saying that with any asterisks next to it either. Um, there was going to be a Grand Slam tournament where we were going to get multiples into the last week of action. And here it is now in New York, and it's it's still going on. And it's just been a real treat to watch so far. Yeah, you make a good point. I, I think we're we're becoming immune to this storyline or these storylines of Canadians making deep runs at Grand Slams. And it's happening again at the U.S. Open, which is fantastic. And just starting on the women's side, um, I think we have to begin with Layla Annie Fernandez. And we'll wish a happy birthday to Layla Annie Fernandez, who has just turned 19 years old, which is unbelievable to think, really, because boy, has she grown up really fast. It was just a couple of years ago that we were talking about a junior French Open victory, which was momentous at the time. And you look at her ascent up the rankings, becoming a pro tour player. And for me, this was kind of a pinnacle moment, defeating the defending champion and a four-time slam winner in Naomi Osaka on the biggest stage was fantastic. And not only that, she backs it up with a win over another three-time slam champion in Angie Kerber. Yeah, she backed it up back-to-back matches, beating Grand Slam champions, some of the best women's tennis players of the past, uh, you know, five to to ten years for Kerber has been around a little bit longer than Osaka. And uh, it's it's no fluke. And she's acting as if it's business as usual and that she believes she could win both those matches. And and she's not joking when she says that. I mean, often you hear an athlete say, oh, yeah, I went into the match or the game thinking that we'd beat them or that I'd beat them. And you know that there's a part of them where that's just not true. But with Layla Annie, she 100% believes she can beat anyone when she steps out on that court. And as you mentioned, the growth we've seen over the past few years from her. I mean, we've been talking to her since she was 15, 16 years old. I think she's the leader in terms of Match Point Canada guest appearances because she's always been so uh, forthcoming with her time with us. And so to see her have this kind of success has just been tremendous. And I think back to the first time we spoke to her this year on the podcast where she set out her goals for the season and said she wanted to be top 10 by the end of 2021. And I didn't roll my eyes, but part of me definitely raised an eyebrow because that seemed like quite a lofty goal. And despite the fact that I don't think there's enough tournaments left, you know, regardless of how things play out here in New York for her to achieve that goal necessarily, she's shown top 10 potential for sure the way she's playing right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's been astounding for me that the key moment, really, you look at this matchup against Naomi Osaka in the third round. Layla was kind of having a tough stretch, if, if we're being honest, through the past few months. She she, of course, broke through and won that first career title in Monterey, which was a major breakthrough moment for her earlier. But we had a lot of tournaments after that where she'd 
kind of win a match and then lose a match, win a match and then lose a match. And we looked at her draw um, ahead of this tournament. And I, of course, saw Naomi Osaka's name potentially lurking for the third round. And already just being a realist saying a third round would be a good result for her um, just turning 19 and, and trying to uh, progress in these tournaments. But Osaka served for this match, which is uh, amazing to think that, you know, she's one of the most mentally tough players, I, I think, on tour and match play. And she was up 7-5, 6-5. But Layla talked about constantly looking for solutions to returning Osaka's serve because Naomi was serving incredibly well those first couple of sets. Layla was looking, searching for the adjustment, and she said she knew she would find her opportunity um, to break her eventually, and she had to take it. And that's exactly what she did. Forced a tie break in the second set, suddenly rolls to a 7-2 tie break victory. They're off in a third, and she breaks to open the third. And suddenly the momentum had swung rapidly, Osaka was getting frustrated and, and Layla was in, in the driver's seat here. And she has really won over the crowd at the U S open as well. The New York crowd loves her. They um, absolutely are adoring her. And, and yes. that's another thing I wanted to speak of is just the, the transformation in terms of off the court or after the match, because, you know, often she's so reserved on the court and so focused sometimes after wins, it's just straight to the net for the handshake. And you can tell she's already thinking about the next match without really taking in the celebration of the victory. She's just had, she admitted to us a couple of years ago that she's not comfortable speaking in large crowds that sometimes her mind goes blank and she gets so nervous. Mm-hmm. Where did that Leila Annie Fernandez go? Because this one seems super confident, not just with her tennis strokes, but in the way that she's yeah working up the crowd relishing the moment and expressing yourself afterwards and it's just oh gosh I almost feel like it's watching one of my kids play in terms of you know (laughs) seeing them kind of grow and I feel that certain Mm -hmm. sense of pride because you know you have I you and I have formed a relationship with Layla Annie through the multiple times we've spoken with her and so it's just fantastic to see such a good kid um, you know having this kind of a moment embracing the challenge embracing the pressure and and doing it at a, a the biggest stage you can do it at. If you can do this kind of thing at, at New York in New York under the lights with these kind of crowds, you could do this anywhere. Yeah, well said. Um, and her victory as well over Angelique Kerber obviously talked about the Osaka one. For me, um, watching this event, I, I think this was one of the matches of the tournament. The level was so high here, and Kerber grabbed the opening set six four. Second set um, was. You know, phenomenal tennis from both of these players. I thought they both defended the court so well. Very intriguing matchup because it's not so often that you get the lefty on lefty matchup. So they're kind of having these great angle exchanges and and Layla to come through in that second set and, and seize momentum again, similar to how she did it against Osaka, getting the second set in a tie break and, and then taking over from the third. Uh, eerily similar and, and uh, her confidence is just so, so high right now. Um, yeah, it's just such a treat to watch. And we were fortunate to actually speak with someone who was there watching and an amazing athlete in her own right. I think it's the first time we welcomed a um, professional soccer player uh, and an Olympic soccer player to our podcast. Yep. And uh, it happened kind of accidentally. I was looking at Layla Annie's Instagram after her victory, and she was sharing all these stories of people who were at the match supporting her. And one of them was Evelyn Vien, who is a Canadian Olympian and, and just recently won a gold medal at the Games in Tokyo, and she was cheering her head off. And I thought, 
hey, why don't we try and, and ask her if she'd like to come on and talk about what the atmosphere was like and uh, and what it was like to be a spectator at this match. Because, of course, you and I are covering it virtually, so we're not having the same electricity as we're watching these matches. And uh, really cool to have someone on who herself knows what it's like to play under the biggest pressures in sport. Happy to be joined now on the podcast and offer up some cross-sport appeal today as we welcome Canadian Olympic soccer player and recent gold medalist from the Tokyo Games, Evelyn Vieille, who was courtside on Arthur Ashe to watch Leila Annie Fernandez's recent win. Uh, first of all, Evelyn, welcome to Matchpoint Canada. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We definitely want to get to your uh, big summer with soccer and your Olympic experience, but let's start with the tennis. You were there watching uh, the match with some other Canadian Olympians, I believe. What was the atmosphere like and, um, and what did you take from her spectacular performance on the tennis court? Honestly, I was so impressed by how she played and just I me mean, just being a fan of tennis, of just seeing her, how losing the first set, she came back and just enjoying the, the, the spotlight she has on her and just performing at her, her talent. It was amazing to, to be there and just to watch her play. Was there yeah. a, a big, sorry, was there a big group of Canadians there? Because all I saw was from Layla Annie's Instagram, where I saw you cheering around, and that's what got me to approach you for the uh, the interview. But was there a big group of you there from Canada to support her? Uh, honestly, when I sat down, I saw one of the girls, it was actually Caitlin Weaver, a girl that did figure skating twice Olympian. She sat by me, and we just started talking, and I didn't know her, and at the end of the game, I we were such a big fan of Leila that we became friends and other people from Vancouver was just around us. And I think one of the men said the best thing is to be Canadian. And I think that just marked the day and it's true. So it was, it was fun to just be surrounded by a couple of Canadian and cheering on the, on the Canadian again. Yeah. And uh, as you said, obviously the, the atmosphere was incredible. Um, I thought the tennis was just incredible. The level these players produced her and Kerber, I thought were playing so, so impressive. Um, on this podcast, we've talked about uh, Layla's poise under pressure. I, I mean, you're an athlete yourself. Obviously she, she just turned 19 years old. Is there anything that stands out to you about Layla Fernandez and, and how she handles herself on the court? I mean, how she's doing it with so many fans, I think I was amazed by that. But how, I think the mental, like how strong she is mentally is about like how she can left a point and just turn around quickly and just focus on the next one. And I think how she, that's her mental point I was really amazed by and how she can always perform. And even after the first set, she just bumps back. And the last set, we, we knew she was going to win, how she was enjoying the moment and performing. Now, tennis and soccer are, quite different sports obviously tennis um you know it's more individual you're on your own out there maybe if you're playing doubles a little different soccer is the team environment but uh are there any similarities you could maybe draw from the two uh i mean it's hard because i was thinking about it yesterday and i was like i cannot see myself on the court like i would be so scared just to serve or do something but <laughs> honestly i think that when you're professional athletes and at this high level it's so mental the game you need to perform in big moments and the pressure and all of it but one thing that we all have in common is we love our sport we love to perform we love those big moments so I think the technique everything is still different but the mental aspect and how we're just passionate about our sport that's major common aspect. Evelyn do you play any tennis yourself and is this your first time at the U.S. Open? 
it's my first time in the U.S. Open, but actually back in the days when I feel like tennis kind of became like bigger, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to try to play tennis and bought a racket and I realized I was really not good at it, but I'm, I really like watching tennis and sometime I just like probably after the U.S. Open, I would go play with my friends and realize I'm really, I think the good sport with soccer. Well, you can only dominate at so many sports, I guess. And for you, such an incredible summer. And really for women's sporting results in Canada overall, between the way that the women led the way at the Olympic Games for our country, the gold medal for you and your teammates in soccer, Canada's women's hockey team just won gold at the World Championships. And now we're having this great run at the U.S. Open from Leila Annie Fernandez. And let's for not, not forget Bianca Andreescu as well. Are women's sports finally starting to get the attention that they deserve? And what improvements as a female athlete yourself would you still like to see to get better promotion of women's sports overall? Yeah, I think that the whole summer we talked so much about women and most likely in Canada, how good we did and in so many different sports. And I think the coverage has been good and has been growing. And for me, soccer-wise, like I played in the United States for my professional career, but we don't have any pro leagues at home. In meter is hockey, so... I think in the future, we would love to see some club or just professional league at home to be able to inspire young women at home that play soccer, play any sport, and being able to relate to them uh, easier than playing overseas or in the States. And uh, the, that gold medal in, in Tokyo, I mean, this was honestly an historic accomplishment um, for women's soccer and uh, the program. Can you just, um, yeah, just just describe uh, a little bit the moments, the feelings, not even not even just capturing the gold medal, but also overcoming the United States, because that's just been that long lasting rivalry and breaking through with that win was one thing. And then following it up with the gold medal, just uh, if you could summarize um, the experience a little bit. Yeah, of course. I think in back in February, our first camp before the Olympic was we wanted to change the color of the medal in 2012-16 and we got bronze and we knew that this semifinal was going to be special to change the color of the medal and having the chance to beat the States after 20 years of not getting a win against them was just historical and just just an amazing moment. But after all, we switched quickly and said, let's win. Let's win this whole thing. And I think the team was just so focused about the team first it was setting about one person and we know Sinclair and what she did for our country but after all we like it's, it's a team it's everyone that did it together so I think that's what I'm really proud of yeah and just just to follow up here's one parallel I think I'll make to tennis and soccer and, and you guys fought through this a lot was the penalty shootouts and the penalty kicks they're so high stress um, watching these like are you feeling that same level of stress when you're watching your teammates line up for a kick because there's so much riding on all these kicks uh, the goaltender was um, Labe was so fantastic as, as well like how, how do you handle the pressure of those moments because that feels you know similar to those tight tight moments in tennis in, in a sense because it's kind of individual at that point point yeah exactly I think like probably some tennis player would say the same but we control what we can control so before going in the PK shootout you you know which like for the keeper she knows who she's going to play against and she knows all the information but for us it's just about being ready mentally how to be in peace when you go take your shoot how you like how you practice it was all about the controlling what we can control it was difficult watching at home. Let me tell you, with my three kids, we, we, there was no peace in my house as we watched you, you girls do that. Um, I have a, one final question for you, and, and Ben's going to laugh because I like to ask this one, but where do you keep the Olympic gold medal? Um, honestly, I needed to bring it back to Jersey where I live. So I put it 
in the pile of clothes so I'm trying to hide it but yeah it's in a pile of clothes of old clothes that I'm keeping in a box in my room that is the most unique unique place I've ever heard of of an Olympic gold medalist (laughs) keeping their their hardware yeah no kidding have you have you shown it off to any of your friends yet or or no yeah I got the chance to go home for a week and so I spend time with my family friends and I saw some fans and being back in the States, I showed it to all my teammates. And now I'm just keeping it from me uh, until Christmas. <laughs> that's 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 fair enough. Um, are, are you staying to watch a couple more matches at the U.S. Open or, or you've had the experience for the week, I guess? I, I wish tomorrow I have work to do. I have training, okay. but I wish that I would take an Asian win and Thursday night maybe I can go to the semis to cheer on both of them. Oh, yeah, that, well, we, that would be great. If we have the Canadians going deep, you'll have to go back for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Sure. Um, Evelyn, Vien, th- thank you so much uh, for joining us on Matchpoint Canada. Congratulations on the incredible gold medal and, and thanks for uh, supporting tennis in our country as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Felicitations and merci beaucoup. Merci. There you have it, our interview with the Canadian Olympic gold medalist, Evelyn Vien. And uh, I- I'm glad we did get to ask about those intense penalty kick shootouts because Canada went through a couple of them uh, to, to win that gold medal. They're so, so stressful. Um, but yeah, she, she kind of alluded to this as well for Layla that when you're in that moment uh, and in that zone, you're not really thinking necessarily of the stress and ha- how much kind of the significance of, of what you're about to do. You, you have a calmness that can wash over you when you need it. And I think at this point, in terms of moving forward, and uh, depending on when you're listening to this, but her next matchup is against Alina Svitolina, the number five seed. I don't see why not. You know, I don't see why couldn't Layla Annie get that one too and advance to the semis. And I don't think I'm getting greedy here, but when you knock off, you know, previous uh, U.S. Open champion a couple times over, uh, Kerber's won a couple of slams as well. Why not? I mean, Svitolina's never been to a grand slam final herself so she's gonna be feeling some nerves you would have to imagine um i don't know i think this is as good an opportunity as either of her previous victories have been yeah look uh, alina to me has has played a great tournament she's playing really really solid right now she hasn't dropped a set i was very impressed with how well she played against simona halep but we've talked with about her in the past, her biggest hurdle to overcome is the mental hurdle. And we've seen her get into kind of later stages of Grand Slam events, being in the quarterfinals, maybe an opportunity in a semifinal, and you feel like the draw is opening up for her to have a chance to get to that final match, maybe even win a Grand Slam. And that's where I found she has tightened up just a little bit and not been able to produce her best tennis. And right now, um, you know, if you were looking at at things like rankings and an opportunity that lies ahead. Of course, Alina Svitolina with a chance to face Layla Fernandez, who is unseated player. She should be the heavy favorite, but I, I think the pressure is going to be on her shoulders. Layla has nothing to lose. A quarterfinal is always already an incredible result. So yeah, this is swing freely and, and play the way you've been playing. And there's definitely an opportunity for Fernandez to win this match. Yeah, absolutely. It's win-win for her. If she wins it, fantastic. The story continues. If she doesn't, we're all going to applaud her and she should stand up and take a bow for, for how she's handled herself. And one other note before we move on to the rest of the women's draw here, but Svitolina's already beat a Canadian in this draw in the first round, yes. and Rebecca Marino. 
She's not allowed to take out two in the same tournament, is she? <laughs> that would be unfair. Uh, Let's cap it at one. Yes, yes, uh, that's that's a fair point. We will uh, talk about some other players in this draw, including Bianca Andrescu. We do have to preface this that we are recording this podcast uh, the Labor Day Monday, unfortunately, before Bianca plays a late night round of 16 match against Maria Zachary. Uh but just for starters, her getting to the second week of a slam, it had been a topsy-turvy season for Bianca, basically post-Miami. And her last 10 matches leading into the U.S. Open, she was only four and six. I, I'm really liking how she kind of took advantage of what I would call a favorable draw. You know, first match ended up being actually very, very tricky. Victoria Golovich is having a nice season. I thought she played phenomenal. They had this tough three-setter. And since then... I feel like the confidence and the self-belief and kind of the old Bianca has, has been back two consecutive wins in straight sets, which is something we don't get to say enough with Bianca. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm going to temper that a little bit here and I'm not being pessimistic or, or whatnot, but those are the matches that Bianca should be winning in straight sets. Yes, and no, you're right. no disrespect to Lauren Davis or Greet Minen, who she defeated both in straight sets to, um, to make it here to the round of 16. But if you're the sixth seed in a tournament, and if you're a player who's won a Grand Slam before and a player of Bianca's talent, you should be winning those matches and you should be winning them. If not easily, you should be will- winning them in a fashion where you're in control. And so she did what she had to do. I'm not taken away from that. Yep. But I do see so much, you know, um, so many comments out there on, on Twitter and social media about, oh, Bianca's back. Let's just wait a minute because it's going to get a lot tougher now in the second week. And it starts with uh, Zachary, who uh, she had a, a tight three set win uh, in Miami in the semifinals there to get through to the final, uh, it's not going to get any easier. And when you look at the draw, there are a lot of great names that are left in this U.S. Open draw. And I'm not saying Bianca can't beat them, but I'm just saying, you know, she's going to be receiving a challenge that she hasn't yet faced in this tournament as she moves forward here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that top half of the draw, I, I mean, there was one aspect that significantly opened up. Top-ranked Ash Barty losing to Shelby Rogers, which uh, was, for me, obviously the biggest upset of the tournament. Nobody was anticipating that, and, and Barty did serve for that match in the third set. Couldn't close it out. I, I wonder a little fatigue maybe finally setting in for the fact that Barty has been on the road the entire season. Hasn't had a chance to head back to Australia you know, five titles. She's played so much tennis. She's played, you know, incredibly well. She has been the world number one without a doubt that maybe she was almost due for a letdown. And unfortunately the timing of that letdown happened at the last slam of the season, but uh, she goes out to Shelby Rogers. We have a surprise um, quarter finalist, Emma Raducanu born in Toronto, as I've mentioned in the past, (laughs) following up from her great results at Wimbledon. And, uh, you know, the Brits absolutely love this talent. She is so, so impressive. And she has taken care of business like incredibly easily. If you look at some of her scorelines so far, the one that stands out to me, third round, she beat Sarah Cerebe's Tormo bagel breadstick, six love, six one, and then took out Shelby Rogers, who looked a little bit gassed after her win over Barty. So top half, we have Benchich and, and Raducanu, and then, you know, Bianca with the, potentially an opportunity, but Pliskova's there, of course, just made the Wimbledon finals. Pavlichenkova is there. She made a French Open final. So we have a lot of players playing great tennis who have played some very strong tennis all year. 
Okay, you gave me a lot to digest there, so let me see where I'm going to slip back in. But I, I think apologize. It's, it's okay. You're on a roll. And there's so much to talk about, and it's super exciting, the women's draw. I'm loving it. Uh, Radicanu, by the way, I get asked to talk on a regular basis on British sports talk radio, uh, talk sport over there. And, mm-hmm. of course, they always want to talk to me about the Brits. And uh, I've got to say, you know, I'm not an expert on British tennis or all of their players, but I'm getting up to speed on Radicanu. But every time they ask me about her, I start by saying, but she's from Toronto. And I don't know if they like that or not, but that's just yeah. my little my little dig, you know, because I'm still upset about them taking Greg Grzetsky back in the day. I had to grow up that's with that right. one. Yeah. And you know, he reached a peak of number four in the world. And that was back when Canada had like no men's tennis players in the top 50. So it still burns a little bit. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw that comment in about Raducanu every time I, I can do that. Um, she's got seven wins under her belt now between qualifying and the main draw. And yeah. she's won all of them in straight sets, which is just pretty astounding. She's only played two majors as a pro, Wimbledon and this one, and she's made it deep both times. This is a, a pretty amazing tennis talent. We're talking about Leilani Fernandez, and rightly so, but the Brits have every reason to be excited about uh, Raducanu as well. And so these two, just fantastic. I mean, could you imagine a Raducanu Fernandez final at the U.S. Open? <laughs> and of course, it's not going to happen. But, you know, maybe one day we'll Years see those two line. fighting for, yeah. a, for a Grand Slam, the way things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ash Barty, as I catch my breath. And Ash Barty, uh, I mean, I was, again, doing a radio hit as her match with Rogers was going on. And they asked me about it. And I said, well, she's up a break here in the third, so it's looking pretty good. But in women's tennis, you just never know. So I can't say definitively until it's over. And, of course, yeah. she even had a, a double break lead in that, uh, in that final set. And Rogers, credit to her. And I like it when a player who's been having a hard time against an adversary like Shelby Rogers was having against Ash Barty finally breaks through because she had been beaten by her four times this year. Yeah. And um, so, you know, you gotta, you gotta feel good for a player to have that kind of a moment. Um, but this draw, you know, you got a couple of young upstarts and then you got some players that absolutely are the ones you'd expect to be there uh, between, you know, prior Grand Slam winners finalists we got someone like Sabalenka who you got to feel is it's got a great opportunity now perhaps to catch you know her first one and uh, what a great week we have ahead of us here with what's left yeah just uh I think some amazing matchups one player who's uh, really flying under the radar and it seems crazy that she is flying under the radar because she won the French Open is Barbara Krejcikova who's actually played you know, excellent tennis since that French Open as well. Uh, you know, Wimbledon, she made the round of 16 before losing to the eventual winner, Barty. Um, but then she won a title in Prague. She was still winning post-French Open. I thought she played pretty well in Cincinnati, lost to Barty again. And then, you know, she's comfortably through, hasn't dropped a set here, beat Muguruza. There were some fireworks actually in that match for whoever saw that. Krejcikova calling the medical timeout 6-5 in the second set. Ahead of Muguruza about to serve, Garbina was not a fan of that as well. Called her unprofessional as they shook hands. Krychikova was apologetic, said she couldn't seem to catch her breath and felt winded um, and actually skipped post-match press as well. So perhaps she wasn't feeling well. I'm not quite sure what happened there, but she's flying under the radar and playing really, really nice tennis. And that's an intriguing matchup actually with Arena Sabalenka, who's looking for that big, big Grand Slam breakthrough. A a player we've talked about in the past should be contending for these titles. Yeah, we'll see how Krejcikova comes back from that one. But uh, there's been a lot of talk about medical timeouts, about bathroom breaks, you know, (laughs) maybe that'll transition us into the the men's draw here in a moment. Um, but there, there's a lot of heat coming on players who are taking these little 
timeouts to gain perhaps whether they intend for it to happen or not they are gaining a little bit of an advantage by slowing the momentum of the match by bringing things back down to a, an even ground as they start back up after eight minutes or ten minutes or whatever the case may be I don't know what what you know route tennis has to go around these things um, maybe a little like a lie detector test after you come back from your break to see if you were really you know using it for what you said you were but um, there's been a lot going on this U.S. Open. I feel like there's no shortage of excitement, plenty of storylines, both on court, off court. And for the last Grand Slam of the year, I got to say, as a, as a tennis fan, first and foremost, I'm loving all of this. Yeah, so much drama every single day so far at the U.S. Open. Obviously, social media amplifies it and, and word spreads. And um, yeah, if we're shifting over to the men's side, of course, Novak Djokovic is going to be the top storyline and his quest for slam number 21 but since we brought up the bathroom breaks we'll we'll discuss Stefano Tsitsipas for a moment because um he was getting some rough press and rough talk kind of the whole week and I I almost kind of felt bad because this was kind of carried over from previous tournaments extended bathroom breaks there's no exact rule timing these bathroom breaks. I know I've been critical of them in the past. Actually, ironically enough, I was critical months ago of Krychikova in the final in Dubai against Muguruza taking like a 12-minute one. But I, I think we just need some type of time limit on this. And Andy Murray, I, I love Andy Murray, but he really stoked the flames after that loss to, to Tsitsipas. Said he lost respect for him. Then he was tweeting jokes on Twitter, like right after as well. And Tsitsipas just like, he never really won over the New York crowd. And I think that really gave him trouble. And you look at the, this match he played against Carlos Alcaraz, who of course we'll talk about him. Um, the crowd was for Alcaraz that entire match. And it was like 90 to 10 in terms of percentage is what I felt from watching that Tsitsipas did not have support at Flushing Meadows. And I, I'm sure whether he's going to admit it or not, that weighed on him a little bit mentally. Yeah, I'm sure it, it must have. And uh, I, I don't know how much sympathy I have for him, to be honest. And, you know, it's just a quick, you know, reactionary take to it. But I think that's an extra long amount of time. And the fact that he's doing it regularly, look, every now and then, sure, you're maybe going to have a day where yes. you need that, that kind of time. But the it's fact that he's habit. doing it so regularly, yeah, it doesn't really sit well with me either. And, you know, if there's one person who is absolutely um, oblivious to criticism and, and, and can't, you know, really doesn't receive any criticism, it's Andy Murray. And when you've got Andy Murray, you know, talking like that, um, to me, yeah, I'm going to listen, you know, because he's the most respected, I would say, arguably the most respected guy on the on the men's tour and, and such a great voice for tennis. I think, you know, when when his career is over, sign him up to be commissioner of tennis, because yeah. I think he would get like 99 percent of the votes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, CC Pass, I think maybe he's not concerned about his public image and, and how the crowd, you know. Look at what Medvedev did with the crowd a couple of years ago and how he used yes. that to his advantage too, right? So, hey, maybe it doesn't matter to Steph, but I, I think tennis needs to take a bit of a look because, you know, and I think we mentioned this last week too, it's not a good look for tennis. It's not good for TV. It's not good for the spectators. It's not bringing people to the table, right? People are changing the channel. They're going to find something else and maybe they're not coming back. And that's yep. not good for the sport. Yeah. And, and part of this is I, I think he must be like way too slow and methodical with changing his clothes too. that. We, we just have to like go through players council, set a rule five minutes max. You get a five minute maximum bathroom break. And I, I think this scandal will be settled once and for all, I hope. And uh, there's a lot of bad blood brewing right now between Tsitsipas and Sasha Zverev. And, and we have issues of our own with Sasha Zverev. I think a lot of 
tennis fans do for, for other reasons, but Zverev and his accusations saying he took a phone with him to, to cheat. Tsitsipas uh, responded to that and was very, very annoyed. Novak Djokovic, uh, top seed of the event. Of yeah, course, let's talk about some good stuff here. Let's talk about some positive stuff, like the guy yeah. who's chasing the all-time slam record. Exactly. And uh, no surprise, of course, that he's made the second week of the U.S. Open, as he often makes second weeks of majors. And I I don't know that I would even quantify them as hiccups. The fact that he's dropped a couple of sets along the way. Holger Rune, who was kind of feeding off some crowd energy in that first one, took a tie break. Kenny Shikori played a nice opening set, but then Novak completely took over that match. He looks good. And, you know, he remains the player to beat in this tournament. And I don't see really any obstacles until potentially semifinals. Berrettini could trouble him in the quarters, but you look at Berrettini to me, he's an amazing grass court player. That's his best surface. We got the absolute best that Berrettini can play over the grass court swing. And that was a four set loss to Djokovic in the finals. So really, can he transition over to Djokovic's favorite surface hard courts and beat him in a best of five? It feels unlikely. And I think we're just looking at really, to me, there are two names who could stop Novak in this tournament. It's Medvedev and it's Verev. Yeah, that's it. It's either the number two or the number four seed to me as well in terms of who's left. Djokovic has a winning record against both. He's five and three against Medvedev. He's six and three versus Zverev. Yes, it's true. Zverev beat him recently and uh, derailed his quest for the Golden Slam by beating him at the Olympic Games and, and quite handily in those last two sets as well. But this is best of five and this is in New York. And who's the crowd going to get behind in that match? I would maybe imagine that Djokovic is going to receive the... Uh, you know, the, the the praise and the attention that, let's be honest, he deserves it. Um, yep. So I hope the crowd does support him. And as I've mentioned before, I'd love to see him get to the final. And, you know, if it works out, if it doesn't work out, just to give him and see him in that moment to have that match with everything on the line. So much hype, so much excitement. Again, great for tennis. Bring more people in. Let's see if this guy can do something that no man has done in 52 years, which is to capture all four slams in one season. Yeah, it would raise the hype, of course, of that final so much. I think uh, the viewership would be through the roof. And Danil Medvedev has been playing a pretty flawless tournament, I have to say. He hasn't dropped a set as well. Well, not as well. Djokovic has dropped a couple. But the toughest set he's faced is just a few 6-4s. He has been in absolute cruise control through this event. And he must be licking his chops to be facing a surprise qualifier who has played great on the challenger circuit, but you have to be licking your chops when you're facing Bodic von Dezanskalp in the quarterfinals. I mean, this is like a stunning, stunning run. I, I think I'm doing a pretty good job with the well name, to be done. honest. <laughs> well done. And I'm so glad that you, you know, said it because now I don't have to. Yeah. Uh, and I love when you take the tough names and, uh, I was practicing last night, actually, because I thought they were going to ask me in an interview I did, and I practiced, and I practiced, <laughs> and they didn't ask me. So you know what? Forget uh, it. I'm done. You can pronounce the name, but great for him. Medvedev, I think, is going to steamroll the guy, though, to be perfectly honest. And um, yeah, I mean, Medvedev's made a finals in New York before. Yeah. You know, none of these other guys in his part of the draw have, uh, and one of these guys that we have to talk about is obviously Felix Auger Aliassim who is into, as we speak now, the quarterfinals uh, in a young gun showdown against Alcaraz. And great for Felix to put it together, who's had quite the up and down kind of season. You know, peaked, peak form in the grass court season for Felix. Not working so well, you know, so far leading in on hard court. But here he is making up for it all. 
and uh, couldn't be happier to see this happening to Felix, who is such a supreme talent and has already made, as we know, the eight finals on the ATP Tour, which is, you know, an obscene number for someone his age. And so um, I think this run that he's having is going to just do wonders for him moving forward the rest of the year, whether he makes it past the quarters or not. Yeah, look, I, I think this is a phenomenal result once again. Back-to-back slam quarterfinals now, and he's the youngest player to do that since Juan Martin Del Potro did it back in 2009. And Del got his lone uh, slam title actually in 2009 at the U.S. Open when he beat Roger Federer in that five-set thriller. Um Felix has had tough obstacles in this tournament, even his first round, uh, actually a long four setter against Evgeny Donskoy, who was kind of playing out of his mind that match very surprisingly, but he came through that in four gets kind of a more routine second round win. And, and then we knew it was a very tough test in the third round. Roberto Bautista Gut, such a tough competitor. I was kind of anticipating a long match. Felix looked fantastic. The first two sets RBA kind of kind of got a second win and battle back and, you kind of had the thought, oh my God, here we go. As you're going into the fifth set, Kenny blow a two sets to love lead, but Felix elevated his game when he had to, and he's been serving really, really well this tournament. I, I think that's been a key difference maker for him. 27 aces against Bautista Guten that match. That's a high, high number. And then Francis Tiafo, who's having an amazing tournament, took out Andre Rublev, which was one of the big upsets of the first week, Felix comes through in four and gets like a very, very tight third set to go his way. So he's looking very decisive and confident in those key moments. And we've talked in the past when he was struggling, it almost looked like he looked unsure of himself and unsure of his, his shot making and decision making. And, and now he seems to have clarity of mind. And I think that's making a big difference. Can I also say how much fun it was to be able to say FAA versus RBA? And that just <laughs> yeah. saved a lot of tweet space for me. Mm-hmm. So that was that was good. Um, but what he showed in that victory to me uh, by managing to come back after blowing the two set to love lead, he's done that now twice in back-to-back majors, right? Because earlier yes. this year at the Aussie Open against Karatsev, um, he had a two set to none lead and, and that fell apart on him. But yeah. at Wimbledon against, who was it, Zverev, Mm-hmm. Same thing could have happened, but he held it together here at the US Open. Same thing. So that's back to back now that, yes, you could say, well, he had a two set to love lead and he let that go, but he's showing the resolve and the capability to get, get it back going his way. So I think that's huge. I think that really bodes well for him. And uh, I mean, him against Alcaraz, what a great opportunity for both of these young guys. One of them is going to be in their first ever Grand Slam semifinal. Yeah. The, the ascent of Alcaraz, by the way, has been incredible uh his his upset over Tsitsipas for me for those who watched the first week of tennis I thought that was the match of the tournament like such high octane high level tennis from both players and the speed that this guy hits the ball at it is unbelievable Tsitsipas said he'd never seen someone hit so hard which is quite a statement um we've seen those types of statements from Stefanos in the past after a loss perhaps but he absolutely crushes the ball and his speed is off the charts in terms of cover the court his serve is going to develop further I think Alcaraz I kind of put him in that camp with Yannick Sinner he's just another future face of this sport and Yevgeny Kafalnikov former uh, multiple slam champion actually tweeted after his win over Stefano Tsitsipas he thinks Alcaraz is going to be winning slams in two years that's yeah, quite a projection pressure let's put all that pressure on his shoulders <laughs> why not yeah. well maybe maybe he's not reading those tweets hopefully not that's quite a pro- projection but um he looks like a supreme talent to me and um if there was a concern over the future of spanish tennis given that 
surely probably in, you know, maybe three years, four years that Nadal will likely be gone. I, I think the future is in good hands with a player like Carlos Alcaraz for Spain. Yeah, not just Spanish tennis, but just tennis in general. I'm feeling yeah. this tournament is, again, such a good showcase for all these other guys. And we're, you know, seeing what a post Federer Nadal world is going to look like. And I think it's going to be okay. You know, I think it's going to be um, all right. There's going to be a transition. Of course, we're going to miss those greats. Uh, I love how you said Nadal three, four more years, because I know how badly you want him to stick around for as long as possible. (laughs) And I do too. Don't get me wrong. I do too. But uh, we're getting a glimpse. I'm liking what we're seeing. And, um, you know, before we wrap up, I guess we should also mention that uh, for Denis Shapovalov, didn't quite go um, according to, to plan. Look good early, getting a couple of wins under his belt after, you know, a very lackluster hard court swing in yep. Toronto and Cincinnati. Um, but Lloyd Harris, my goodness, Lloyd Harris is uh, playing some great tennis and took Chapeau out in straight sets, which was the one thing that surprised me. Not so much the result. I saw that being a, mm-hmm. a distinct possibility, but in straight set, I, I was surprised. Yeah. And Dennis must have been frustrated because uh, losing the first set, second set, he had the early break and the third set, he was up a break. So you feel like you let potentially two sets slip out of your hands and suddenly you lose this match in straights. I know he was quite frustrated afterwards. Um, just in his interview with TSN, he says he feel like he feels like he beat himself. Um, he was trying to play his aggressive brand of tennis. Just didn't work out. Credit to Lloyd Harris. He has wins over team and Nadal this season, and he just took out Opelka as well. He's into his first ever Grand Slam quarterfinal. So another guy who is playing great as we wrap up our show. Last week's guest on our U.S. Open preview was uh, journalist Christopher Clary, who has written The Master, a book about Roger Federer. And of course, uh, we're glad to bring about a contest to enter, which so many of you did. I think we had uh, almost 50 entries, actually, uh, to win a copy of The Master by Christopher Clary. 20 of those entries were me, I should say, under my uh, assumed (laughs) names. But uh, yeah, The Master, the long run and beautiful game of Roger Federer, which I am starting to work my way through Mm -hmm. um, and enjoying it, especially in the absence of having Roger at the U.S. Open. I feel by reading this book, it's kind of keeping him fresh on the tennis landscape for me and and for others, no doubt, who are enjoying it. Uh, It's on the bestsellers list already, I believe. Uh, Chris Clary tweeted out the other day. So congrats to him and, and thanks to him for providing us with this copy to give away that we're going to ship out. And uh, Ben, you're on the, uh, you're on the duties this week to, uh, to pull the winning name. Yeah. I'm ready for the draw here. We have all our names and just clicking a button. Here we go. Our winner of the book is, I have to see, I believe his submission was on Twitter. Congratulations to Joey Taylor. Joey Taylor has uh, won the book this week, uh, The Master by Christopher Clary. So uh, we'll shoot you a message on Twitter and you just have to give us the mailing address and we'll get that book out to you. So congratulations to that. Guys, I hope you've been enjoying the phenomenal tennis. We thank as well Evelyn Vien, our guest this week, who is uh, watching Layla Fernandez and her incredible win over Angie Kerber. We'll be watching and following it all. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>